Amen. 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 Feel free to be seated, church. Thank you for dealing with the technical difficulty. It's all good. I'm going to try my hand at not being hands-free. We'll see what happens. But good morning. My name's Bobby Nemeth, and I'm the teaching and discipleship pastor here at Evangel. And just so grateful. Good. I think that's off. Yep. And I just want to just say so glad that you're joining us live online while we're here in Scotch Plains and want to thank you those in our overflow space. So grateful that we have this just privilege to connect this morning over God's word. At Evangel, here's the thing. We row together. And it's just such an honor to be on the preaching team with Pastor Chris and Pastor Les and Pastor Roy and myself. And we get to come together each week and we get to work on and develop the kind of sermons that are shaping our hearts and minds as followers of Jesus Christ. And this week is a special week because Pastor Les is in Woodbridge and he's sharing with our congregation there and we're just so excited for what he's doing and I'm here with you all in Scotch Plains and just so privileged to be able to share with you here and to those who are tuning in online. So thank you so much. You know, part of my role is not, goes beyond just being a part of our teaching team. It's also as the discipleship pastor here and I want you to know that I love to have the privilege of sitting down with some of you just kind of talking through some of the questions that you have, walking through what's on your heart and your mind as you're trying to follow Jesus and just listen to his voice and just beginning to affirm God's call and movement in your life. And so if you want to connect with me, I just want to put my email address up here and just let you know, hey, just shoot me a quick email. You got a question? We can just talk through it. Maybe we, maybe we need to carve out some time, but I just want to let you know that I'm available to connect with you, to sit and chat, or just to kind of be a resource to you. And so just wanted to throw that out there as uh, my privilege of being uh, part of one of your pastors here on staff. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you have your phones out and maybe you use a Bible app, just open that up right now. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be living in. Right now, we're in the midst of a really important series entitled, We Live on Mission. We Live on Mission. And this is so important because it's one of our values here at Evangel, that we live on mission, which means that we partner with God in his mission because Jesus gave his followers the Great Commission to go everywhere to everyone to make disciples. That's what we get to do. We get to go everywhere to everyone and make disciples of all peoples. And the way we do this is we get to partner with God in the preaching of the gospel and the sharing of faith that sets us free so others can experience the same freedom and the same hope that can only come from a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, going overseas is great. I was a mapper myself, which is the Missions Abroad Placement Service. I served for three months overseas. It was a wonderful, awesome experience. But I want to let you know that as many trips as we send out, out of this church, and God is blessing that and doing so great at that, you don't have to do that to live on mission where you're at right now, where God has placed you. I want you to know that right now where God has placed you, you can share Jesus with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, with your loved ones, whomever you're at, wherever you're at, with whomever you're at, you can share Jesus with them. God has equipped you and enabled you. And throughout this series, we've been sharing principles that help unlock how we can live on mission. The first is those is that we have to be led 
by the Spirit. We have to remember that evangelism is a Spirit-led endeavor. And we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the way that we are able to live on mission first is that we have to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that we have to identify common ground. We're called to see the moments and opportunities of life as places where we can build relational bridges with others so that we can be like the Apostle Paul who said, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. That's what we're called to do, church. The third thing is we're called to value others. We're called to value people. We have to realize that our value doesn't come from what we've been through, but it comes from what's been imprinted on us. That each and every person has been made in the image and likeness of God. And for that reason, God has placed on us an infinite value, the value of his dearly beloved son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the value that God has placed on every single person. And today we're going to be looking at the fourth principle in our journey that's going to help us live on mission. And as I was reflecting on today's topic, I was thinking about a missions trip I went on in 2005. 2005 was one of the biggest hurricane seasons on record. Maybe you remember some of them. How about Hurricane Irene? How about Hurricane Rita? about Katrina. We all got hit hard that year. And during July, I was in the Caribbean on a missions trip to Jamaica. We hadn't been there long when we got word that a powerful hurricane was going to be coming through. And I can remember the night before it landed. The lightning was so loud, it was so powerful, as one of the preliminary bands was sweeping through, it rattled the building we were sleeping in. It was about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then we all got woken up out of a sleep, and we, we were so shook because it shook the building that we were staying in. I mean, it was like a thunderclap from heaven. And it was letting us know what we were in for. The next day, it rained. And it rains, and it rains, and it downpoured exceptionally hard, and then it left. And we had no clue what kind of damage it was going to leave. I, I mean, when you're on a mission trip, you know that you have to be ready to pivot. You know, you got to be flexible. You know, when you're living on mission, you're like, all right, Holy Spirit, like, where are you going? But like, this was an exceptional pivot that we had to get ready for because we weren't sure what the roads were going to be like, what the places were going to be like. We didn't know what we were going to be able to do. So the leaders kind of huddled together and they said, we think we'll be able to take a trip to this one place up in the mountains. Most of the roads to get there are paved, but there is a little bit of not so paved road section. And so let's see what happens. So we're on our way, and it's clear. And we're like, this is good. We're getting on our journey. It's about an hour journey. So the paved roads turned into not-so-paved roads, and it's still surprisingly clear. Like, we were worried about washouts. And then we're about 10 minutes away. And then in, in the road before us, there are boulders, and there's a tree. And what do we do? We turn around. We've come all this way. Now, a couple of us guys, we got out. And we started to the best of our ability. We moved the boulders out of the way. We got the tree just kind of angled off and up on the road where we could drive around it. So that was it. So that way we could continue on our way. Here, here's the thing, friends. 
in the same way, there are storms going on in the lives of the people around us. And in the wake of those storms, there are obstacles that have become erected in their lives that are preventing people from getting to God. And this is the fourth principle, church, as we're living on mission, that we are called to partner with Jesus in eliminating obstacles. Obstacles are the obstructions. They're the barriers that are preventing people from coming into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Let me read it to you again. Obstacles are the obstructions and barriers that are preventing people from coming into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And today, I want you to know, as we're sharing the gospel with people, as we're living on mission and we're being witnesses of his transforming power and the work that he's done in our lives, guess what? We're gonna run into all sorts of obstacles as we're sharing Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with some of these obstacles that you've come into in contact with as you're sharing, it, sharing Jesus. Maybe like some of these resonate with you. Maybe they were personal to you when, you were sh when someone was sharing Jesus with you. I mean, there are people who can't comprehend the love that God has for them because of all the bad things they've done. They're like, how could God Ever forgive me? Like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Maybe some of the people that you share Jesus with, they're like, listen, I watched something on YouTube, and it's like, I'm not even sure if Jesus is a real historical figure. Like, isn't he just a myth or something like that? Just a story about some things. Perhaps somebody's from a different religion. And Jesus is so foreign to them that they can't wrap their minds around the God who loves them so much that he would come searching and seeking for them, that he would give his very son just to be in fellowship with them. Maybe there are the pressures from family because their cultural and their religious identity is so linked that to follow Jesus is to reject their family. And they're like, I'm not going to reject my family to follow Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. And others struggle with understanding God as Father because they can't comprehend how a heavenly father could love them so much when their earthly father just didn't care, wasn't interested in them. Today, I want you to realize that the answer to the hurts, to the intellectual and philosophical hangups, and the personal hardships that people are struggling with is an encounter with Jesus Christ. Our job is to eliminate as many of those obstacles as possible and to help people come to Jesus. And as we look at this story today in Mark chapter 2, we're going to see some people that did just that. They brought their friend to Jesus because they knew if they could get him to Jesus, then it would change everything. So let's begin Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later. The news spread quickly that he was coming, that he was back home. And soon the house where he was, was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And when he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. So Jesus is back in Capernaum. This is a town on the northwest portion of the Sea of Galilee. And word about Jesus is beginning to spread around the region that he's been ministering to people. He's been preaching the good news and this good news is traveling fast, that people are getting healed, that they're getting delivered and then people are hearing this teaching from Jesus that is transforming people's lives and they're like, what, what's going on? I, I, I need to see what's happening here. And the place where he's staying is filling up with people. It's so filled, they're standing in the doorway. They're crowding around outside the house. There's absolutely 
no way in. I mean, I could imagine it being like three, four, five people deep, and people are like, could, could I just, like, what, what's he saying? Like, tell me what he's saying. Like, pass it on, because it's got to be good if there's this many people around. So when a group of people heard that Jesus was there, they said to themselves, let's go get the man who's paralyzed. I mean, like, there's this guy, he's paralyzed, he can't walk, and maybe Jesus can heal him. I mean, I mean, perhaps, you know, I mean, I heard these stories that, like, this guy who had leprosy went up, he ran up to Jesus, and he's like, Lord, if you're willing, and Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed, and he wasn't, I don't understand it. Like, what's happening? Like, he was teaching in a synagogue, and then this crazy person walked in, and Jesus just set them free in a minute, like, I don't understand it, but maybe he could do something, just perhaps, if we get him to Jesus. So they grabbed him on his sleeping mat, carried him to Jesus. And friends, this is the first thing. If you're going to eliminate obstacles in people's lives, is that you have to be close to people. If you're going to carry people to Jesus, you've got to be close to people. Think about the vulnerability, the level of trust that this man had in these four people who were carrying them. See, if you're going to bring someone to Jesus, you got you got to take them and then you got to grab them, right? And you got to carry them there. But you can't do that from a distance. And here's the problem. Most of us, you know what we think the first thing that we need to do? is that we got to eliminate all the obstacles. That's what we think the first thing that we have to do. Just come up with all the answers to all their objections. Create a convincing argument that Jesus is Lord and that he's the Savior of all. And they'll be repenting before we finish our last paragraph, right? I mean, that's at least what I thought. I'd share Jesus with my friends, and I was like the, listen, you got questions, I've got answers. I thought I knew it all. My wife's over there thinking to herself, thought he knew it all? He still does. Here's what I really believe. That if we're going to carry people to Jesus, there needs to be a level of trust. There needs to be a level of compassion. There needs to be a level of connection with people where they invite us to carry them to Jesus. Think about the people who were attracted to Jesus, who were coming to Jesus. It was the sinners and the tax collectors. But the religious leaders, the people who held the truth, the people who knew the word of God, what happened to those people, the sinners and tax collectors who needed it? They were repelled by them. They were just like, no, 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 we're not, we're not interested. But Jesus, he'd sit with them, he'd eat with them, he'd teach them and tell them, listen, there is a better way of what it means to follow God, and that starts with following me. Today, church, I am scared. I am terrified that the world won't let us carry them to Jesus. That's because we haven't spent the time, I believe, to value people. Rather, we've tried to fix them. We haven't spent the time to identify common ground, and instead of saying, here's this 1% we, just, we, we agree on. There's this 1%. I may disagree with you on 99%, but here's 1%. No, I'm going to stand on that ground, and I'm just going to give it all my effort. I'm just going to do everything in my power to stand on this little portion. Instead, we just say, well, there's the 99%. That's good. I'm going to stand over here, and that's good. Let's just keep being repelled by each other. Because let's just disagree and give it all our effort. Friends, I'm scared that there are obstacles in the way of people's lives, of them coming to Jesus, and that we're just allowing them to stay there. Have any of you heard of the TV show American Ninja Warrior? Yeah, it's a pretty cool show. Um, if you're not familiar with it, they got some clips of it. Uh, the object of the game is to run through a course of obstacles and finish a race. It requires a tremendous amount of athleticism. 
There are people who train for months and months to get through this course without falling. I don't particularly enjoy watching people fail at things. I'd rather watch someone succeed. And as I'm watching, watching this, I'm just like, oh, if only I could help you like, get to the finish line. If only I could help you overcome this obstacle. Church, I really believe that there's some of us who are sitting on the sidelines. And what we are, we're spectators. And we're watching people hit obstacles. And we're just like, oh, that's sad. Oh, that's unfortunate. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. We're completely unengaged. And we're allowing them to stay stuck rather than move closer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't think we have what it takes, but I want you to know that we're here with you, that we can come and walk alongside of you and we can help equip you. And I just want to come alongside of you and just be like, listen, if I need to pray with you, let's pray together. If I need to help you walk through some ideas, let me help you walk through some ideas. Whatever it is, I want to help you remove those obstacles in the way of people coming into a life-changing relationship with Christ. But even worse than being a spectator because maybe you feel unqualified, I think some of us are actually the obstacles that people need to overcome. Whether it's the way we dialogue with them, perhaps that we're living inconsistent lives. But imagine instead of being a spectator, imagine instead of being the obstacle. Imagine this. Imagine if your job in the race was to get people to the finish line of faith. Imagine if your role was actually to help them to push forward, to move forward so that they could find Jesus and find freedom in finding Jesus. Imagine if that's what you saw your role as, as eliminating obstacles. You see, there needs to be a level of vulnerability and relationship to carry someone to Jesus, and that means we have to get close. Now, I may not be training for American Ninja Warrior, but I actually do train in martial arts. I've been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for over six years which is like grappling or wrestling, and you got to get really close physically with people, whether you want to or not, because it's a physical sport. And after class, you hang out, you work on moves, and you just talk about life. And so most people know that I'm a pastor, and that usually starts one of two conversations. Like, that's weird, and let's pivot. And the other one is, let me tell you everything I believe about God. So I had this one friend who was the let's pivot, and we'd been training together for several years. And then one night after class, we're sitting down, we're cooling off, and he goes, can I ask you a question? And I always know what this means. Whenever someone says to me, let me ask you a question. He says, so I was watching the History Channel. Whenever someone starts with that, I know get ready to buckle up because it's going to be a roller coaster. It was about aliens and the end times. I was like, all right, here we go. But here's the thing, friends. You just got to follow the prompt in those moments because evangelism is a spirit-led endeavor. And so I just started talking about Jesus. From the common ground of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I was able to share the gospel with my friends because we got close. And as we got close, there was a vulnerability that increased, and then he invited me into an opportunity to bring my friend to Jesus. So back in Mark 2, they arrive at the house, and we pick up the story in verses 4 and 5. You see, when the four friends arrived, situation is less than desirable. So let's read. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus and seeing their faith. Here's the thing. The place is packed. 
They're carrying a paralyzed man, and they need to get, them, get him to Jesus, but they can't. They're like, listen, maybe we can make our way through the crowd and get into the house, but there's obstacles. But despite the obstacles, they're willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus because they knew he could do something that no one else could do. So in Galilee, the homes that are constructed there, there would be steps that would be leading up to the roof alongside of the house. And the roofs were constructed out of mud and clay and thatch was laid over top. And and it would be replaced seasonally. So they walked up the steps. They see the roof. And then they go back down and they go home. Right? No. That's not what the story says. No. They're like, here's a roof. Jesus is on the other side. Let's remove the roof. Let's punch a hole through the patch. And then let's get him down to Jesus. Now let me remind you. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is instructing people. He's delivering a sermon. I don't see anybody coming down. But <clears throat> the word of God is giving the word of God. Here's what the second thing that we need to learn when we're eliminating obstacles. You have to be willing to wreck the roof. You got to be willing to wreck the roof. You see, why were these men willing to go to such great lengths to, to, and destroy property? You know why? Because they understood the infinite value of the individual who they were bringing. They understood that this man's life was more valuable than a roof. And here's the thing that we need to realize, that destroying a roof means nothing in the greater scheme of God. That's the reality. Destroying a roof is nothing. God, this person is more valuable to God than anything. And so I'm talking with my friend about Jesus. And I mentioned to him about how God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I said, the reason why he wants to do that is he wants to be our heavenly father. You know, he stopped me in mid-sentence. I wasn't done with the punchline yet. And he said, I can't can't believe in that. I said, why? He says, listen, my old man, (laughs) he was rough. I can't even imagine a God who would love me like that, a heavenly father when I have such an earthly father who didn't care at all about me. Friends, I want you to know this is one of those wreck the roof moments. This is one of those moments where you tear through those ideas, where you tear through those obstacles, and you get your friend to Jesus. You get that person to Jesus. But you can only do that from a place of common ground. You can only do that from a place of valuing people. And as you're, being, as you're following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, as you're being led by him, you see that opportunity, and then you go in. You know what I got to tell him about? I got to tell him about our Heavenly Father. You know, Jesus tells this parable about earthly fathers, and he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, just think about this. Even God knew that earthly fathers don't live up, but the heavenly father is the God of how much more, and that when you come to him, he is more than you could ever ask of, dare to dream of, or speak of. I mean, he's just so far beyond that when you were lost and astray, that when you were a sheep who was gone and and you were the one, when he had the 99, he's like, listen, I'm going to go searching and seeking for this lost sheep until I find it, and then I'm going to rejoice for this one. I'm not just going to rejoice in the 99 I have. I've got to have one more. Because church, there's one more. There's always one more who needs to encounter him. 
And so, friends, if you're willing to do the uncomfortable, if you're willing to wreck the roof, God is willing to do more than you can even comprehend. But I think sometimes we aren't removing obstacles because we think it's inconvenient. Sometimes we think Jesus might actually be busy. And maybe we shouldn't interrupt him. But let me just ask a question. What if the interruption is actually the invitation of God? I have friends who are committed Christians who struggle with prayer today because they don't understand if God is interested in them. They are just like, doesn't he have so much going on? I mean, like he's managing the entire universe. Like, like they, does he really want to know me like that? Does he really care about me? And if Christians are thinking that, so think about this. If Christians are thinking that, if they're struggling with it, how much more is the world? So I did a little research. And I said to myself, self, how much of Jesus' ministry happened in interruption? How much does Jesus really care about being interrupted when he's on his way to do something? So I lined up all the miracles of Jesus, and I looked at all of the accounts, and I said, how many times was he on his way to do something else, or was he in the middle of another thing, and then someone says, hey, 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 can you help me out over here? And then Jesus says, no, forget it, man, I'm, I'm busy over here. How many times did that happen? That happened zero times, just so you're aware. That happened zero times. But you know how many times he did say, sure, more than half, about 56% of the time by my count. Half of the time, Jesus was walking somewhere, doing something, speaking with another person, and someone comes along and says, can you help me? And Jesus says, of course, because Jesus invites the interruption. And as Jesus is teaching, the interruption becomes the message. Mark chapter 5. Uh, not Mark chapter 5, sorry. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Here we go. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying, this blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned and said to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and walked out there through stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. So just picture the scene. Everybody's probably really dirty. They just tore a hole in the roof, interrupted Jesus' message. And Jesus says, my child, your sins are forgiven. I am sure that the people who lowered him in the middle to interrupt were like, Jesus, sins forgiven? Like, what are we doing here? Like, he's paralyzed. He can't walk. There's a reason why we dropped him through the roof. There's a reason why we destroyed property. And you're saying sins are forgiven? We were thinking more like, get up, pick up your mat, and, you know, go home. But why is Jesus forgiving sins? Here's why. Because when you bring people to Jesus, he touches the whole person. He doesn't just touch a part of you. He touches 
all of you. He brings forgiveness. He brings freedom. He brings hope. Because Jesus is the answer to the problems of the world, to the issues that we're struggling through. And we develop the conviction. When we do this, when we are so firm that Jesus is alive, that he is able, and that he is available, I promise you, church, this changes everything. Jesus looked. He saw their faith. And the third thing that we need to realize in our journey to eliminate obstacles is that we have to rekindle our confidence in Christ. Eliminating obstacles requires a fierce faith. A belief that says there is a way. And that way is Jesus. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's having such a confidence that there is no other answer than Jesus. Jesus looked at their faith, and then he was moved. Church, let me tell you, there is no telling what your faith can do to the equation for the people that you love, the people that are lost, the people that are far from God. These men knew Jesus was the answer. And they didn't care what the consequences were because if they could get their friend to Jesus, they knew it could change everything. And I have to admit, sometimes I don't have that confidence. I don't have that right posture in certain circumstances, especially when I'm sharing Jesus with my friends, my family. But you know what I need to do? I need to create a greater conception of Christ. I've got to cultivate something in the soil of my soul and begin to remove the weeds of doubt and anxiety and fear. And I've got to allow the fruit of the Spirit to begin percolating up within me, to begin germinating within inside of me because part of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Faith. Friends, I, I think we all need to continue to rekindle our confidence and who he is. And remember that what he has done, he will continue to do. That Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. And what we all need to do is come back and ask ourselves these kind of questions. Is he still the Alpha and the Omega? Is he still seated on the throne? Is he still the Savior of all? I mean, is he still our healer, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Provider, the one who set us free? Is he still who the word of God says he is. Because if he's still the same today, yesterday, and forever, then he can still transform every situation and circumstance for his glory. Amen. This has to get into our souls. We have to rekindle a confidence in Christ, a determination deep within us that it's Jesus nothing. And if we can find the faith of those four friends, then I believe that Christ will come and do more than we can imagine. Church, I really believe that this is the heart of God, that we join him in eliminating obstacle. He wants to eliminate every obstacle as we're sharing Jesus with others. God wants to come alongside of us and see us get to the finish line of faith. Every single person. This is what the word of God says. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's desire. And I believe there's a beautiful picture of this. At the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona, there's a sprinter. His name is Derek Redman. 
and he was the fastest man in Britain at the 400 meter. And coming out of the first rounds, let me tell you, he was the fastest man at the Olympics. He was poised for a medal. He even went on to win his quarterfinal, but then in the semifinal, as he's rounding the corner, he tears his hamstring. Not even halfway through the race. All that effort, all that hard work, gone in a moment. He dropped to the ground in disappointment. The staff came out, and then what did he do? He shook them off. He got up, and he started running, and they tried to stop them. They wanted, he wanted so desperately to finish race. He hobbles along in pain, and then as the crowd stands and applause out of the corner comes someone. It's his father. In that moment, his father moved with compassion, seeing his son so deep in pain, rushed through the crowds and past the security guards to come alongside of him and help him get to the finish line in the final 100 meters of the race. This was a father who wouldn't allow any obstacle to get in the way of his son completing the race. And today, I want to challenge you that our Heavenly Father wants every person to get to the finish line of faith. And we're called to get the heart of the Father in eliminating obstacles. We're called to cultivate the heart of the Father in living on mission. Remember what Isaiah the prophet says. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. This is God's heart. This is God's desire, that there would be no obstacles in the way of his people coming into a relationship with him. Friends, this is God's heart. And the question is, church, will you join him? Will you join him by living on mission and seeing people rescued and set free and redeemed? If that's you, then I want you to stand to your feet in closing. I truly believe that he's calling us to be people that carry others to Jesus. And if we're going to do that, you know what we need to do? We got to get close to people. I believe that we've got to cultivate a faith so deep within ourselves that we're willing to wreck some roofs. I really believe that we need to consistently rekindle our confidence in Christ because he wants to do something and we've got to believe that, that he will do it. Church, we've been on a journey these past four weeks. And here's the journey. To live on mission and partner with God in his purpose to rescue and redeem the world, to save them and give them the free gift of eternal life. And in order for us to live on mission, we've been equipped with four principles. They're up on the screen. The first is that we're led by the Spirit. Remember, evangelism is a Spirit-led endeavor. We can't do it without His power, without His strength. The second is that we have to identify common ground. This means we have to see the opportunities and situations that God has placed us in life as places where we could build relational bridges. The third thing is that we have to value others. We have to see that we have to see the infinite value God has placed on every person that he was willing to die so that none would perish. And finally, we eliminate obstacles. We wreck some roofs. And we're so confident that Christ is going to move that we just grab people and we carry them to Jesus. And I, and I, as we begin to apply these principles, you know what I believe that the Lord is really going to use us. I believe that the Lord is going to help us in sharing our faith with others. And I want to pray a commissioning prayer with you. 
If you want to live on mission, then I want you to raise your hands towards the heavens. And I want to pray just a prayer that God is going to use you and move through you. Jesus, today, I want to thank you so much that you're moving in your church, God, that you're just beginning to cultivate within our souls, deep within us, a confidence in you, God, that you're taking a flame that's burning and that you're turning up the heat, Lord, so that we are willing to bring more and more people to Jesus, that we're willing to wreck some roots because, God, you have called us and commissioned us to see the infinite value that you place on everyone. You've called us and commissioned us to be in life and in this world. You haven't taken us out of it, but you left us in it so that we could identify common ground with people to build those relational bridges And as we're following the prompt of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that we would see evangelism as a spirit-led endeavor. I pray that we'd hear your voice so clearly in moments, God, that we would be able to flow in your power and your might because you said it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, God, we're believing and we're trusting that you're commissioning us to go into all the world and to make disciples of everyone, everywhere. God, we thank you for your spirit. Fill us anew, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before before you leave, two things. Two things before you leave. We got this card. This This is a card to help you to remember how you live on mission. It's just a little... Uh, reminder of what it means to live, to be led by the Spirit, identify common ground, value people, and eliminate obstacles. This is a resource on your way out that we want to provide you with, so make sure that you pick it up and stick it on your refrigerator at home, take a picture of it on your phone, and then just keep it there. And then as you're scrolling through your images and you're going back through your memories, you're like, oh, got to live on mission. God's got a calling on my life. He does, I promise you. Second thing is, that there's some of you here today that were moved. You're like, there are some people in my life that I know that need some obstacles removed. There are some people in life that are just walking through some things that I'm sharing Jesus with, and I need to carry them to Jesus, but there's some things in the way. And today we want to join hands together with you in prayer. We're going to have our altar workers come forward, and they're going to come alongside of you and pray with you. And so if that's you, if you're feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit that there's someone you're sharing with and you want some walls to come tumbling down now, then I want to invite you forward to this altar. If you're feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you're saying, "Mm, there's just someone I'm sharing Jesus with and I want to see, there's just this wall in the way, God, would you break it down? If that's you, then I want to invite you forward to this altar. I want to pray with you. If you're feeling that you need to rekindle your confidence in Christ, then I want you to come forward to this altar. We want to pray with you. If you're struggling to get close to people, then we want to pray with you. Hallelujah. We're going to have the worship team lead us in just one final song, and we're going to pray with you as we do that, and then I'll come up and give us our final song.